0: Hello, this is Wine Blast, hosted by me, Susie Barry, and my husband, lockdown drinking partner and Mm. fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards.
1: It's a role I'm privileged to
2: play.
0: You're good at it. (laughs) Now, this episode, in this episode, for once, it is my turn to get overexcited, isn't it? Because we are talking about Burgundy. It's (laughs) a region that makes just sublime wines and uh, endlessly fascinating and I just love it. So I'm quite keen to get on with things. Keen to get
1: on with things. Right. I am. It, that's, a, that's a loaded comment, is it? You
0: know, no, it, I wouldn't dream just, of a Just get on comment. with it sort of
1: thing, which, which, to be honest, is fair enough after our last episode. was, I think the official line is, unexpectedly uh, long.
0: It was, it was, but it was fun, <laughs> and it, it was, fascinating. was fascinating. It was fascinating. fascinating.
1: José Villamose and all that stuff. on. So if you haven't heard it, top three white varieties. Oh, what's your favourite white? It's, it's a, it was fun. I would it, say was that, fun. But it was fun. We loved but it. But we are going to try to keep this episode as punchy and concise and short as possible. So, you know, with that in mind, maybe... Maybe we could even contemplate not mentioning David Beckham in this one, what do you think?
0: I'm not sure we're going that far. I mean, he only came up three or four times in the last one, didn't he? <laughs> and it did.
1: To be fair, it did mean we had some fun on social media afterwards, didn't it? It did. Okay, it so what did. Was the indeed. We asked a question, um, uh, you know, because we had to the fill question. time. I yeah. think, you know, uh, if David Beckham were a white grape variety, <laughs> what white grape variety would he be? I mean, this is a question of nat- international import, isn't it? This is this is. This <laughs> but, is but we had series. some
0: brilliant answers. We had some um, amazing. answers. Oh God! I think my favourite was Marcella, who mm-hmm. said um, he could be anything. Even peanutage, and I would happily drink it. <laughs> it's,
1: just the, <laughs> Bit it's just the image that sticks with you, isn't it? Drinking David Beckham. Anyway, uh, you know, Ben in Chile, I thought, um, said something really interesting and very clever, which is he, he, that David Beckham would be uh, Syrah. Slightly missing the white variety there, but it doesn't matter. It, he would be oh, Syrah. that's true. Yeah, I hadn't really uh, thought about It that. doesn't matter, because he was good. He said, because some appreciate it for its carnal notes.
0: Oh, yes, David.
1: Oh, I, think, I think, yeah. Easy now, Ben. Uh, but it can also be very elegant, he said. It's known everywhere the world over and can be called David, Syrah or Bex, Shiraz. Good. That's quite clever, isn't it?
0: That is, that's clever. Well, what yeah, do we call yeah, him? We'll let him, let him do we call him red. David or Bex? Sir David. Sir David. Yes. Sir David. Yeah. <laughs> Sir
1: David. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Anyway, <laughs> Sir uh, I loved what Linda had to say about Sir David mm. uh, because she said, <laughs> he has to be the essence of a bright British bubbly. So maybe a dirty blonde Chardonnay grown in the home counties? Delicious, of course.
1: (laughs) Doesn't get much better, does it?
0: It doesn't. Anyway, I don't think we should get sidetracked (laughs) right now from our real mission here, which is Burgundy. Mm. So later on, we're going to be discussing how to find affordable white burgundy which mm. is not the easiest thing and something of a holy grail for wine lovers uh and we're going to be sampling a couple of bottles along the way of course we are we wouldn't dream of doing anything
1: else mm. i think that's what's getting you excited isn't it, it is it's my I've been kind really, of episode really honest, opening some white burgundy okay. <laughs> you know i can't wait to i'm excited too just just to register my small mm. Place in this world. you're allowed a little bit of excitement. I'm allowed, okay. No, thank you. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited too because we're going to be hearing from Michael Baum, uh, a former Silicon Valley tech entrepreneur who bought Chateau de Pommard, a very prestigious uh, property in the heart of Burgundy's Cote de Bone, uh, in 2014. And now since then, he's been overseeing a radical reboot. See what, see what I've done there? Radical reboot. Mm-hmm take take tech, uh, tech reference
0: uh, oh sorry don't <laughs> don't try and do tech refs on me i mean yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not getting maybe gonna it's for, maybe it. it's for the
1: listeners i uh, don't know i'm calling it let's so i'm going to go with burgundy 2.0 as well uh, again. Straight over my head, okay, sorry. fine, fine, fine. All right. Uh, but anyway, he's been modernising the estate and, and he's been install- doing this, everything from installing um, super fast broadband to instigating biodynamic farming. Uh, more recently, he's been launching interactive wine experiences with some of the money going to French hospitals charity.
0: Now, Michael is not afraid, I think we can safely say, of voicing an opinion. And indeed, he does that in his interview with some mm. strong views on mm. uh, on California wine, the lockdown and how coronavirus could prompt a radical change in wine. We started by uh, asking him to introduce himself.
2: Introduce myself. Yes, I am uh, Michael Baum, uh, one of the two uh, proprietaires, along with my wife, Julie Carabello, at uh, Chateau de Pomar in Burgundy.
1: And can you just tell us where you're talking to us from? Maybe set the scene a little bit for us.
2: Sure. I'm uh, in my office here uh, at the Chateau looking out on uh, our 20 hectares of Pinot Noir vines at uh, the Clos Merimange, which is um, a a large monopole for Burgundy. Uh, Monopole is, as you probably know, a a vineyard that is owned by one owner. Um, I think in the Côte d'Or, we're probably the largest monopole, but we're not a big wine business. We produce about uh, 200,000 bottles a year, and we make 30 different uh, cuvées across Burgundy. Our... uh, our pride, of course, is uh, the cuvees we make from the Clomerie marie here in, in Poma.
1: Now, it's, it's, it may be a slight clue in the accent, but obviously you're not uh, originally French. So, and, and I did see a little tweet from you recently saying you're missing California because, as far as I understand, <laughs> you've been stuck in France since uh, coronavirus started. Give us a little bit of background about how you came to own the property um, and, and how things are there now.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, So I'm I'm from uh, San Francisco and my wife and my two boys are back there now. uh, And I'm here in France. I've been a tech entrepreneur in uh, enterprise software for all of my career up until a few years ago. And when I left my last company, uh, Splunk, which is uh, a big data software company, uh, we moved to Paris for a year to take a year off. Uh, and I was very interested in getting into wine in France for, oh, probably 15 or 20 years prior to that. I never really fell in love with California wine, but I fell hard for French wines mm. when I was, mm. uh, when I was in my twenties and it was a chance to, to really look around France and try to see if there was any way to get involved in the wine industry.
1: What was it about French uh, wine
2: that, that caught your <coughs> attention?
1: Why, why, why fall in love with French wine?
2: You know, it it was the classic uh, nuanced flavors, lower alcohol levels, higher acidity. That all, of course, comes from uh, terroir, but also from just winemaking know-how. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, California wines even today have uh, they come from a much different terroir in a much different climate, with a more of a technologic, I would say, winemaking uh, philosophy than what we see here in France.
1: But obviously, your love for French wine has now meant that you 're separated from your family which which sounds yeah. um which uh, you,
2: it must be uh, hard well, it might save my marriage. <laughs> in what please elaborate well I think of all of the relationship breakups that are going to be during and after this uh COVID-19 lockdown
1: all right well and, just just uh, don't tell Susie that all right just uh we'll, we'll gloss over that um some some relationships may prosper whereas I'm sure some may it, it must be a challenging situation
2: for a lot of people I do understand no but That's, uh, you're right it is it, it is difficult and I think uh, San Francisco is in the same situation we are here. Uh, both Pomar and San Francisco went on lockdown just about the same day, I think the 15th of March. We're all experiencing a similar situation. Although I would say the French are um, much more draconian about it than the Americans are. You know, we, uh, we need to fill out a, a piece of paper called an attestation. Anytime we want to step out of our house and go to the grocery store or the doctor or for a walk. So uh, it's, it's quite different. The restaurants here can't do takeout. Restaurants in San Francisco are still open and can do takeout food.
1: Do you think the French have gone a bit far or do you
2: think it's merited? I think the whole world's gone a bit far. So you think we shouldn't be doing this this uh, extensive lockdown? No, I think in the end, we're going to find out that the lockdown uh, was not beneficial in the ways that people thought it was. It may be beneficial in other ways, but um, I think the, the idea, I mean, look, I'm an engineer and a scientist, so I think about this from a scientific standpoint, but the idea that the virus... Um, needs to stop circulating in society before people can go out and circulate is just kind of a misnomer because the virus needs to circulate between 60 and 70% of um, society before we have an immunity level. And uh, I think the lockdown was good to slow down the serious cases going to the hospitals and overwhelming the, the medical system. But I think it's been bad in the sense that um, it's very difficult to open things up again. Because the virus will need to circulate, you know. There's no stamping out the virus. It's going to be here, and we're going to live with it for a long time.
1: Now, you've um, said recently that you think the coronavirus crisis could lead to a prompt, a, a radical change in 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 wine. Can you uh, elaborate a bit more about
2: that? Well, I think it's going to result in a radical change in a lot of industries. Um, I think, in particular, in wine and. And look, I come at this from a particular perspective, right? I'm not from the wine industry, at least only in the last five years. Uh, I come at this from the technology industry where we are used to having a much more direct relationship with our customers. Um, We're not used to selling our product through multiple tiers of distribution. And it's about getting closer to the customer, is it? Yeah, getting closer to the customer, yeah. And really understanding the customer's uh, needs understanding the customer's input on your product in a very intimate way we've welcomed more than a thousand guests to our online experiences in the last three weeks so and i was going to
1: ask you about this so the experience yeah. uh the experience um, economy which obviously has been going gangbusters the last few years is obviously going to have to reorient a little bit, especially well, in the short term. And you've launched this new Route des Grand Cru virtual travel around the uh, Burgundy's famous villages with tasting. Yeah. Uh, t- talk to us a bit more about that.
2: Well, we welcome about 25,000 clients a year here to the Chateau in, in Pomar. Um, and we're very unusual that way in Burgundy because we've been, I mean, for almost 300 years, Chateau de Pomar has been welcoming clients directly and selling wine wine directly to clients. Why? Because it's one of only the few handful maybe four or five iconic estates that are open to the public in Burgundy and where you have a proper chateau you know kind of like you do in, in Bordeaux there's something for people to see and experience with the architecture. We happen to have two chateaux here because for more than 150 years the property was divided uh, and was only reunited in 1961 by the Laplanche family. So we are the fifth family to own the estate and operate it. So we have all these visitors coming every year, last year from 92 different countries, you know, the very eclectic mix of people that come to Burgundy, you know, hardcore wine lovers, right? And we, as of March 15th, couldn't do that anymore. So we're used to having you know, one, two, 3,000 clients a year walking, or um, a month, walking through our front door and all of a sudden that stops. It was a very eerie feeling to be walking around the property with no clients. So we decided to uh, take the experiences online. This, this is a project we actually started about two years ago. Um, we are launching later this year a brand new uh, company uh, called Vivant that is doing uh, online wine experiences uh, with our own platform and our own technology. Right now we're doing experiences online with uh, zoom like the rest of the wine industry. Um, so it's a good test and a good experiment for us, um, has reminded us of all the interesting limitations of most of these online platforms and why we decided to build our own.
1: Without pushing you too much. What, what would those limitations be? And what are you trying to do? That's a bit different.
2: Well, I think, you know, one very practical thing that everybody could understand, although it's, uh, it is technologic in nature is if, If I have a wonderful video that I want to show you of our 20 hectares here at the Clomery Mulch, and you and I are on right now on video on Zoom, and I want to play that video for you while we're on together, it doesn't work. The the frame rate of the video will be so bad that you just won't appreciate it. Um, And it's because you're playing streaming video over streaming video. It just doesn't work. So on our new platform, when I'm playing you a streaming video, our streaming video is cut and you're seeing only the streaming video I'm playing you. Um, So very simple example, but there are there are many things that we're doing in our own online platform. Uh, We have a whole interactive tasting method that we're building. Um, So it's it's really geared around getting people to experience the people, the regions and the wines um, around the world uh, interactively.
1: Michael, last question. What's
2: your ideal quarantine wine? And it can't be one of yours. Oh, you know, I had, I'm going to show you a beautiful wine I had last night. And this would be, I think at this time of the year, uh, I'm getting more into drinking uh, summer wines. And last night I'd had this beautiful uh, Saint-Aubin Primé Cru. Um, it's Uber 2014. Yeah.
1: 2014. Looks beautiful.
2: How Ouvert, was it? uh Lamey, uh, he's a fairly small producer. Um, it was gorgeous. The 2014 Chardonnays from uh, Burgundy now are just starting to show a little age, just starting to oxidize a bit, and it was fantastic. I, I really, really enjoyed this wine. Sainte auban is one of my favorite places. We are, interestingly, from Andremie, which is the single vineyard this wine comes from in uh, Sainte auban We are, for the first year this year, making an Andremie uh, Premier Cru. Uh, we found somebody to trade fruit with in sainte de And this, to me, is one of the most beautiful uh, vineyards, most beautiful fruits in sainte de And so it was a real pleasure to drink this one with a little bit of age on it.
1: it. sounds absolutely delicious, Michael. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us.
2: Thank you for having me. So could Burgundy
0: be the key to saving marriages during this coronavirus lockdown? <laughs> You know, either we could just drink, shed loads of it, mm-hmm. or, or you could do what Michael did and buy a chateau in Burgundy, and, and then you could enforce some very strict marriage social distancing. <laughs> yeah. It'd be big enough, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's,
2: it's
1: an idea. You know, I, I don't think anything should be off the table right now. Um, <laughs> but actually, you know, it was joking apart. Really interesting to hear about Michael's take on the lockdown, wasn't yeah, it? which is. Yeah. In, yeah, controversial, I guess. Interesting. Who knows? I suppose only, with these things, only time will tell. But um, I thought what he's also doing to sort of modernise Burgundy and, and the estate with tech and engage more directly with consumers. It's is,
0: interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Really, and
1: his customers is really, really, interesting. I think it's going to be fascinating to see the results uh, yeah. on, on all fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you, you, know, you do have to wonder... What his neighbours in Burgundy are making.
0: I know eyes. when you think of Burgundy, <laughs> oh yeah, those people of the land. Uh, but on one level, I mean, it sounds like he's Michael's drinking a lot of the local yeah. wine, so I'm sure that will in itself keep him very popular. Yeah. And, and we actually wanted to pick up on his choice there, mm. uh, the the Santa Band that he chose mm. for his um, quarantine wine, because it got us thinking, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. and it was thinking really about how, for most wine lovers, Burgundy is this sort of mythical place where mm. some of the best wines in the world get made both white and red but but mm. most of us just can't afford them
1: yeah, so, yeah so that's so true
0: so, so i mean what if we want to drink a nice white burgundy on a sunny evening mm. as mm. michael described i mean what what mm. can we do where, where do we go to find mm, that at yeah. a, a price we can afford
1: yeah we, we, and then that is the key question um, so we're going to deal with that, but I think just just first, maybe it's worth taking a few sort of um, steps steps back. You know, it, so in our last episode, um, we asked people to name their three favorite white grape varieties, and yeah. you know, and, and Chardonnay came in um, second. I mean, it was
0: it, it was close run though. I mean, it was only just second. It, it
1: was a very close run thing. Obviously, Riesling just pipped it to the post. But you know, uh, we made it clear that Chardonnay was our favorite, our sort of ultimate white yeah. wine variety. But now, as we know, Chardonnay is the key white grape of Burgundy, you know, this wonderful region of France that runs between Dijon and Lyon, um, where, where I guess one way of saying it is that the, the land and the people have have sort of come together over centuries to just make magical wines, you know, red, red and white.
0: Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. actually these days it's it's 61% white. Did you know that? Oh, yeah.
1: So significantly more white than the red.
0: But, well, well, not significantly, but, you know, a chunk, a, a chunk, so, so a white, chunk more but,
1: white. Okay, so white Burgundy... Is the biggest product from the region? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that's, that is that In terms of wine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but But the greatest wines, you know, are, are in Burgundy are made, greatest white wines, are made from the Chardonnay grape variety, even though they tend to be named after the place they're grown rather than the grape variety. Which can
0: be a bit bit confusing.
1: We're totally confusing, you know, because, <laughs> because but, but also justified because although it's the same grape variety, you know, a Merceau tastes different to a Montrachet, yeah. you know, or a Macon. Or, 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 you know, I suppose a Chablis. yeah. Even though they're all made from Chardonnay.
0: Absolutely. And I I think, I mean, you know, that is what we love about chardonnay Mm. and burgundy Um, and it's the way you can get all these all these different styles so Mm -hmm. there's you never get bored there's something for everybody um but but the style in burgundy when we're talking about chardonnay is that lovely savory style it's Mm. it's it's refreshing savory nutty food friendly Um,
1: that's that's why we love it so much isn't it? oh it is
0: yeah yeah well i mean you know wines are made for drinking with food aren't they well and frankly you know white burgundy you could be eating just a lovely french baguette with some Mm. butter and a Big oh. chunk of Conte, oh, oh, or you talking. could be keep eating talking. the finest foods in the world, and and you will find a white Burgundy yeah. that that works yeah. with those yeah. foods. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I, and the best the best are mind blowing, I think, aren't they? But yeah. equally, this is important to say: you know, the worst can be pretty ordinary,
0: very ordinary. Yeah, yeah. and
1: and the worst bit about it That's is, all, yeah. they're often over ordinary and overpriced. <laughs> which and I don't think there's much it's worse. Annoying, you know. So this this really is a key point, isn't it? You know, Burgundy is never cheap. No. Uh, you know the best wines and there are reasons for that you know the best wines are often made in minute quantities yeah and it, actually
0: even more so because the last few vintages well you know a lot of the vintages recently have been tiny um, and yeah. so you yeah, know they, they, have. they are not really very little of fault of around. you know
1: because of frost and hail and stuff yeah. like that although they, you know with climate change that doesn't even think knows, about doesn't yeah. it Will chardonnay and pinot noir be in burgundy in, in 50 years time oh there's another question <laughs> it's a biggie but also i you know, in terms of expense, there's lots of work that often goes into making these wines isn't there. Um, and, and actually, the land really isn't cheap. No. You know, I think, what was it, for the late, some of the latest figures, a, a, a piece of a hectare, one hectare of Grand Cru, so, so the best of the best land in, in Burgundy, yeah. uh, was valued at about 15 million euros.
0: I mean, that's insane, isn't and it? And I think,
1: actually, there was a recent sale of Claude de Tarte uh, of a Grand Cru, a famous Grand Cru, and that was rumoured to be even more than that. Good Lord. So it's... it have got
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm, anyway, no wonder they're
1: expensive. There are finances behind <laughs> it. So I think it's important to say, anyway, that, you know, when we're talking about affordable Burgundy, we're not talking about cheap and cheerful. No. You know, uh, we, we're talking it's just slightly less not, expensive.
0: It's not £5 a bottle, no, is it? No, um, no, no. Absolutely. But I think for most wine lovers, I would say that is okay. Mm-hmm, um, these yeah. tend to be special bottles. You know, they're not necessarily a... Tuesday pizza night wine. Um, they're more a Thursday bottle. <laughs> they're, 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 can special. I just
1: interrupt? And say, there's a book in this that there, there is Susie's definition of a Friday night wine. I, I'm intrigued. I'm it's still It's going to be
0: expensive. Do, you don't know yet. You
1: know, how many years we've been we married? And I'm still, I'm still it's, learning.
0: It's hard on the wallet. Uh, but no, the, these are. The, I'm talking about you know affordable <laughs> burgundy that is a, a Thursday night bottle. Mm-hmm. It's not the big hitters. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, But I think, but you know, the real challenge here is to avoid the wines that are overpriced. Mm-hmm. Really disappointing because of it. And and then to try to find the ones that punch above their weight. And they, yeah. they give you a little taste of that magic of white burgundy without breaking the bank.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so we've got a couple of bottles lined up here, haven't we? Which are, yeah. I guess, sort of good examples of certain names that we'd highlight as being markers for good value white burgundy. Absolutely. You know. um, now, these are all from the Wine Society, but you, you can get them from other places too. Uh, we're using them sort of almost like... Emblematic examples, if you like, uh, uh, and uh, as individual recommendations, more than that, you know. So, so we will put a list of all of these names, um, as well as the wines we're using, on our website, so you can not. Don't, don't worry too much about names now, but you can check back uh, if you want.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to start with a Chablis, mm. a name that I think. Everybody does know pretty well. Uh, this is this one is the Jean-Marc Brocard Saint Clair 2018, and it's fifteen pounds at the wine society. Mm-hmm. Now Brocard is a great producer, yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is this is key here. Producers are very important in Burgundy. Perhaps, I would say, more important than, for example, the vintage. Mm.
1: Mm. Um, you know, it's slightly controversial, but no, I, yeah. I think you're right. Produ- good producer. Is, good producer. Yeah.
0: You've got to have a good producer. Um, mm. yeah, yeah. And an affordable Chablis. Uh, so this is this is a basic Chablis. It's not mm. a Grand Cru. It's not a Premier Cru. It's a basic Chablis. And they tend to be light and fresh. The lightest and freshest mm. Mm. style of Chardonnay that you're going to get from, from Burgundy. And they're great with food
1: yeah they really are aren't they yeah. i mean i would say yeah. there was yeah. probably
0: a time in the 80s and 90s when chablis was on every, I mean, every wine list i mean mm. it pretty much still is yeah. <laughs> but it was overpriced these days I don't think so as much. There's there's yeah, much better yeah. value there in that lovely, fresh, mm. tingly, um, mouth-watering
1: style. Yeah, they are really good with food. It was a bit like Sancerre, wasn't it, Chablis? It was on every list, yeah, but it yeah, was yeah. sort of yeah. mediocre quality, but just really overpriced.
0: I think another point about Chablis that is interesting is that often, you know, you might taste it and think, mm, it's all right, you know, there's not much going on here. It's brilliant with food. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a really often good point. Surprises tonight, yeah. us. Often Often seafood, shellfish, type of yeah. if you're fans fan of that. But yeah, okay, so so... Chablis, good start when it yeah. comes to affordable Burgundy, a nice name we all know. But, you know, unless you're talking top, top names and top prices in Chablis, you're rarely going to get the kind of richness and and, and sort of complexity that we like in our white Burgundy. So it's probably why we go to white Burgundy, isn't it? I yeah. Think. So for that, you have to move much further south in the region. Um, and the Maconnet is is one region we want to talk about, isn't it? You know, it's, it's uh, a good Macon, you know, by a good producer, can be really good value.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So
1: it's a name to look out for. But, you know, you do have to be careful equally because Macon's a big region and there's a fair amount of pretty dodgy stuff as well, isn't there? Yeah,
0: there is. is. Well, there's just a lot of it. There really is. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, did you know that that pretty much as much Macon blanc, so white Macon, is made as Chablis? So that's mm. a lot of lot of macon.
1: Really? That, that's, yeah, that is because of course a lot of basic Chablis and Petit Chablis made, isn't yeah. it? So that's a lot of yeah, a lot of yeah.
0: macon. It's interesting, but there are certainly um, as well as there being a lot of macon, there are a lot of different styles too. So mm. mm-hmm. so we had a, a, one of our discussions about this, <laughs> didn't we? About our our different tastes in macon. Uh, mm. But the wine that we've got here is the Cordier Macon au Bois d'Allier 2017, mm. thirteen pounds fifty, mm-hmm. uh, and it's quite a rich, generous. I would say lavish style of macon there's mm. the sort of clotted lavish. cream aromas mm-hmm. uh red apple flavors um now you you love this i quite liked it but i do tend to like a bit of a fresher more understated maybe less rich
1: style mm.
0: of macon mm. yeah although, although i, I I'm, I'm going to agree with you here that there is a lot of wine in this cordier macon for your money
1: yeah i mean I, I, maybe i'm just a bit of a chardonnay tart mm. You know, and and also I react against any hint of of blandness, I think, when it comes to something like Macon, because, (laughs) you know, because there's too many bland Macons out there. So I think it's really important to recognise that we did disagree about this. We do disagree about wine quite regularly. And this was a case in point. And so there's no right or wrong, I think, you know, but for me with this with this wine, uh, I think it's amazing value for money. There's so much wine there. And to be honest, you know, I'd say snap it up.
0: So I'm subtle and understated. You're a you're a big tart. Moving
1: on, so, so tarts. Any tarts out there like me? Buy this uh, Macon by Cordier because you will love it, and you will be very satisfied for the rest of your life. Oh,
0: oh, moving well. on, moving on. So <laughs> the next two wines are both Saint-Véran's. Uh, now this mm. is a specific mm. area within the Macon region, mm. and another name that we would definitely highlight mm. for mm. good value. Um, mm. It really, uh, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a this is a good idea. yeah yeah
1: and. As anywhere, you know, Savoir anywhere in Burgundy, you know, quality can vary, as mm. can style. Uh, but you know, I think we've come across enough good and great value Varans recently to just flag it up as a name.
0: It is, yeah, yeah, we have, yeah, we have. Yeah. So the first is Jacques Somme's Savoiran en Creche, twenty eighteen, and it's fourteen pounds fifty. Now, I <laughs> loving that French. <laughs> Merci. <laughs> uh, I'm not patronising at all. <laughs> That's a good um, Which uh, no, I like this wine. It's it's lovely, refreshing, savoury. It's a complete classic. Mm, the mm. other one that we've got is uh, slightly more expensive, Chateau de Beauregard, uh, Saint-Vrain-Vernet, vernay seventeen, at mm-hmm. sixteen fifty, mm-hmm. and it's a bit richer, a bit mm-hmm. more rustic, mm-hmm. characterful, and unsurprisingly, mm. probably you like. It, well, <laughs> yeah. well, we both like.
1: Yeah. It. Well, yes. Um, you know, and so another area in the Maconnais that, that makes richer styles is Préfusé. Uh, you know I suppose not to be conf- not to be confused
0: with Puy Fumé um, exactly. which is so Sauvignon Blanc we never, from we never, the
1: Loire we never mentioned that no. Puy Um now some of these can be really good value as well can't they yeah. um, but I, just to my mind they seem a bit harder to find and, and a bit more expensive when you do is that fair enough?
0: Yeah I mean I think it's a name that you, you. well I wouldn't say it's harder to find you probably see it more often but because of that it's got a bit of um, a bit of you know a reputation and and mm. therefore a little bit more expensive
1: yeah. so uh, you know i think this is the thing in white burgundy you've got chardonnay but it's just so many different styles and sort of nuances you can always find things to suit your your taste and, and budget within within reason um and, and i think what's nice is there are classical wines but also characterful wines with a sense of individuality and, and diversity and i think that's that, that's what makes it so exciting as well. yeah
0: it is and mm. uh, and and so we're gonna go a little bit higher now Uh, finally we wanted to uh, we wanted to go up the pecking order a bit and flag up a a name a value name from the coat door the golden slope now this is where all the great names are you've got Mm. Corton Charlemagne Montrachet Baton Mm. Mm. Montrachet all those incredible incredible wines
1: keep dreaming keep dreaming so this is uh, something we can stretch to this is a Saint Aubin Um, just like Michael mentioned you know it's a little side valley that sits Mm. above the much more vaunted names of Pouligny and Chassin-Montrachet so it's a bit higher and cooler. It's not such a big name. And so the wines are often just great value, aren't they? And this, this is the Exhibition Saint-Aubin Blanc 2017. It's £17, uh, mm. made by Henri Prudon. Great producer. Yeah, great producer. Really great reputation. Makes fantastic value wines. You know, And it's just super sort of stylish. And you just get a taste of that. Yeah. You know, gold the and burgundy richness, magic oh, and warmth and sort of nutty, savory mm. succulents mm. and spice. You know, that is the hallmark of great cote d'or Chardonnay. You get yeah. you get a, you get a, an insight into that with this wine, don't yeah. you? But just at yeah, a, a, a fraction of the price. Yeah.
0: So Saint Ban, great shout from the Cote d'Or. Mm. We'd also flag up Saint Romain, Ozy mm. Duress, they're yep. both both yep. in this area. Uh, also some Oat Cote wines can be uh, whites can yeah. be great mm. value, especially especially if you look at the, for the slightly warmer years. Um, mm. and then just straight Bourgogne blanc equally if it yeah. if it's from a good producer it's maybe de- declassified fruit from from sort of the slightly better vineyards yeah. then again bourgogne blanc can be amazing value within the context but you need to
1: ask about that you need to find out and research that one because yeah. you can get some amazing bourgogne blanc if you know if you know what you're looking for yeah. uh, also i think it's worth flagging up the côte chalonnaise yep yeah. you know so so the area between the côte d'or and mâcon you know with the likes of Montagny. And Givry, we've had some really good whites. From, some
0: lovely Givry um, we've, we've you know, bought, yeah. And they're good yeah.
1: names to look out for in terms of value. And then finally in terms of vintages, um, you know, we've got 2017 here, haven't we? Yes. But also 2014, like Michael mentioned, yeah. both really good vintages for, for white burgundy.
0: Yeah, for recent vintages and yeah. 2018 as well, yeah. actually. Yeah. All re- really good recent vintages. Anyway, I think that's enough geeking out about white burgundy, isn't it? Right, I think yeah. we should, should retire with our bottles and uh, <laughs> maybe talk about David Beckham or something. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure that's an offer I can refuse. I didn't say that. (laughs) So, right, as ever, if you've got any questions, please join in the conversation on social media uh, or better still, head to our website and record a message in your own voice via Speakpipe uh, and just send it over.
0: Thanks to the Wine Society and Michael Balm and, of course, to you for listening. Stay safe, keep your glass topped up and cheers.